Good morning, church. My name is David Rudy. For those of you who I have not met, I'm the pastor here, and it's just great to be gathered together. I look forward to this every single day, and here we are. So if you have your Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, you know how certain things in life you have to do on a daily basis, and if you don't do them on a daily basis, you're going to find yourself in trouble after a while? You know, brushing your teeth is one of those things, right? Uh, drinking water, getting your sleep. I don't always want to drink my water. I don't always want to get my sleep. But if I don't do that over a long period of time, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bad. And spiritually speaking, the passage that we're in today in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see some things that we have to do not on a, not on a physical level, but on a spiritual level that we must do daily in our prayer with God, in a true prayer form. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in a ugly, ugly place. It's going to be like we don't comb our hair. It's going to be like we don't put on those clean clothes. And it's going to, it's going to get bad. So that's where we're coming from today. And the verse that we're going to specifically look at is Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, if you take Jesus Christ out of the picture for a second, which is a really bad idea, never want to do that, but let's just be real. Like, we're not sitting, let's just pretend we're not here on Sunday morning and it's Tuesday morning or it's Thursday night and we're in the thick of life and, and things are not fun at this particular moment and we don't feel like Jesus is right there with us. At least we're not focusing on him. Confessing and forgiving are not always the things that we want to do right away. They're not always that easy. They sound great on Sunday morning, confessing and forgiving. Of course the pastor's going to talk about that. But in real life, it gets a little difficult to confess and to forgive. I don't want to think about what I did wrong. That's not really, I want to move on from that. And I don't really want to forgive that person because they hurt me and they were wrong and they were an idiot and they need to suffer a little bit. Like, that's the way we think in real life, in the, the nine to five and then beyond uh, throughout the week. On our own, this is not very, easily, not very easy. But we see in this prayer, this true prayer that Jesus is giving to pray like this. Prayer isn't just asking for God to fulfill our needs, right? This is what we're seeing this whole series. It's a dependence on God and it's a personal relationship with God. It's seeking his presence. And when we do have Christ's presence with us and we start thinking about what confessing really has, how that has to play a part and how forgiving has to play a part, we actually change into a Christian who's living on mission for God. You hear a lot in this church, whenever it's in the text, that life isn't really about you. And I know that's offensive to some people who hear it for the first time. But when you look at the entirety of Scripture and you think about who you are as a person who is created by God and called out for those of us who have received forgiveness of our sins and have a relationship with God, for those of us who are now in the family of God, we're a child of God, we have something that is way bigger than just us. We have a mission to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6 says, 
For you were not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And what you can do when you realize this is your identity and this is who I am in Christ and this is what he wants me to do, this is the plan he has for me, you can do way more, way beyond what you could ever accomplish on your own in and of yourself. Forget fighting for your rights and scraping by and just, and just trying to make it. No, when you realize that you're a Christian, that God saves you, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, he has a purpose for you, that's when you can say, all right, God, fill me. I need you. Help me out here. And I'm going to move forward for you. And then eternity is on your horizon. Eternity is something that you're living for. Eternity is something that you're shaping, that you're impacting through the power of Jesus Christ. So that's what we have going on in this prayer. And that's basically the foundation of what is assumed when we get to this verse, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. To back up, though, and look at the entirety of this prayer, this is a prayer that Jesus gives, and it's not meant to quote these words and these words only. It's portions. These are aspects of prayer that you should include in your prayer life. So you see, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first portion of the prayer. And this is praising God for who he is. God is holy. He is not like me. I am going to lift high his name. Thank you, God, for your holiness. Thank you for your justice. Thank you for your mercy. That is hallowing who he is. And then the, the first petition is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like this is aligning my heart to his heart. I, I want what he's having. Give me some of that. Your will be done, your kingdom come. So this isn't my agenda anymore. It's I'm on a mission for God. I'm with him. He's called me out. I'm his child. I can do this through him. Then you have this this daily dependence, give us this day our daily bread. This is what we looked at last week. This is embracing that rhythm of daily dependence. We don't have all that we need. We have to run to him. We have to seek him and find him, and he will sustain us. The bread of life, Jesus Christ, is the source of our daily bread, the daily needs. And now in this third petition part of the Lord's Prayer, we're going beyond just the physical daily needs now, and now we're entering into the spiritual realm. This is where it goes in. This is the daily spiritual necessities. Confessing and forgiving. Confessing and forgiving are prerequisites as we enter our relationship with God. You don't enter into a relationship with God without asking God to forgive your sins, repentance of your own personal sin. You don't keep a good relationship with other people, with each other. We can't do that unless we forgive as God forgave us. So this is an element of true prayer that has to be in there. True prayer contains this very personal part. So our first part of confession and forgiveness, my very first point today is ask God for forgiveness. You can see how hard I had to work on that point, right? I mean, look at the first half of verse 12. This, this doesn't too complicated. Ask God for, for forgiveness. Confess your sin to maintain a healthy relationship with God. I'm going to explain that part of it. But when we have a prayer life that's seeking God, this is something that we have to do. Now, you may have a couple questions here about this first part, because it, this raised a couple questions for me when you read this. First question is, why is God talking about debt? Okay, I, 
I like this sermon so far, David. Forgive us our debts. Get rid of my credit card debt. Get rid of my student loans. Like, yes, forgiveness, debt forgiveness. Amen. Well, that's not what Jesus is actually talking about, as you've probably figured out. In the Bible, many times, sin is referred to as debt. And the church hasn't done a great job over the years of of explaining sin and teaching on sin. It's way easier to focus on grace and mercy. It's not as great to think about sin. So the unfortunate result of that is many people have a very hazy concept of sin. And rightfully so, uh, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to understand anyway because it is complicated, it is nuanced. But at its root, we know that sin, harmartia, is missing the mark. The Bible also calls it debt. Why does it call it, call it debt? Well, if you want to define sin, an easy way to define sin is anything that is in opposition to God's character. For me, that's the easiest way I can actually wrap my mind around sin. Sin isn't like love, justice, mercy, this this tangible concept. It's more of the anti-concept. It's the opposite of everything good, okay? So if you take God, all of his attributes, all of his character traits, everything that is true about God, all right? You know, he is patient. He is kind. He is holy. He is merciful. The antithesis of every single one of those true aspects of God, the antithesis of that is sin. So the opposite of being truthful, being dishonest, is sin. The opposite of love, hate, is sin. And you can't just slap a sin label on some tangible object. People get really confused when you do that. You have to go deeper than that into the heart of the issue, right? The heart of the issue is this in opposition to the nature of who God is. If it's opposing God and who he is, then that is sin. And that is why when we sin against God, we are in debt to God because it's a personal offense to God. It's a personal offense to his character. So in the Bible, we have sin as debt. And this is a debt that we cannot pay. We have no ability to pay this. We are all hopelessly lost in our sin in and of ourselves and there is nothing we can do to crawl out of that. The only way that sin can be forgiven is if God absorbs that debt. And praise him, he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and he took our sin upon himself, and he died for that, shed his blood on the tree. So that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, and we confess our sins, and by faith trust that Jesus died for it, God will forgive us our sin. And that's the good news. Romans 5.8 talks about this. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 10 and 11 go on to say this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
So hopefully that answers your question. Debt, why is Jesus talking about that? Why do we have to ask God for forgiveness? Because we are sinners, because we mess up. We go to him and we confess that sin. Now that leads us to one other question, though. And I've heard this question my entire Christian life go, go way back, and I can remember, remember this way before I ever had any, any idea of where to get an answer for something like this. But if, if our sins are already forgiven by Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, why does Jesus say that we still need to confess our sin? Why does Jesus clearly say in verse 12 that we should ask God for forgiveness? Because wasn't that sin already paid for? Isn't it already under the blood? Isn't it already covered? Has anybody ever heard a Christian think about that, talk about that, ask that? Like, do I still have to confess these sins? I've, I mean, this goes way back. I had a coach in high school, my, my basketball high school coach. He was an adamant, you should never confess your sins if you're a Christian. Once you're saved, no more confessing of your sin. Well, there's a problem here because Jesus says we should do it. In the Lord's Prayer, this is true prayer, we should be confessing our sin, so, so what gives? Why do we still need to actually ask God to forgive us our sin, even if our sins are already forgiven? There's a difference, you have to understand the difference between being judicially forgiven and relationally forgiven. Jesus declares you righteous. God declares you righteous by the, by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. That's justification. But relationally, we also have to keep our connection with God pure and on the right standing. Colossians 2 talks about it this way. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we're forgiven eternally, judicially, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But relationally, there's this ongoing process where we do still need to confess our sins to God. I think it, it would help us all to have an illustration about this, to help us understand this concept of the difference between judicial and relational forgiveness. Going, going into Jesus' day, right, first century, if you wanted to really, really get clean, what would you do? Well, besides like jumping in a lake or standing under a waterfall, you're going to go to one of those fancy, newfangled Roman bathhouses, all right? And you go to a Roman bathhouse, and they have running water. You can take a bath. I mean, we're spoiled because we can go into multiple rooms in our house and just turn a knob, and there's hot water coming out of the wall. Like, the, the Jesus, in Jesus' day, they'd be great to just have a hose with cold water. So that, 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 was, that was amazing. But if you really wanted to get clean, you'd get a bath. But the second you step out of the bathhouse, you're clean head to toe now, what, what happens? With your open-toed sandals, you walk out now into a dusty street, dusty, dirty road. And let's say you're going to somebody's house. You're pretty clean, but as you get there, I mean, you came straight from the bathhouse all the way to their house. You're good. You scrubbed in all the right places. You cleaned your hair. You smell good, but your feet are filthy because you've been walking on that dusty, dirty road. So what did they do? They had a water basin there at the door, and they give you a little spot check. They'd, they'd clean your feet right there on the spot. 
that pictures what our life looks like right now. For all of us who are in Christ Jesus, whose sins are forgiven under the blood, we are washed, we are made pure. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For anybody who has confessed their sin and by faith trusted in Jesus Christ, he doesn't look at our sin anymore. He looks at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? But we still make mistakes. We still go places we shouldn't go. We still say things we shouldn't say. We're sinners still. It hasn't, that hasn't radically all transformed and just turned over overnight. So we have dirty feet. And to keep our relationship pure in our standing with God the right way. And this isn't on him now. This is on us. It's very important that you understand that. God doesn't look at you any different. But this is to help you, not to help him. It's to help you. Get your feet clean. All right? Keep a short sin account with God. What happens if you just let things hang there? If you sin against someone and you say nothing about it, you never say, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry for the way I made you feel there. That was not my intention. Please forgive me. If you never say that to someone and you just have all these little offenses building up, what does it do to the relationship? It hurts the relationship, right? It, it, it puts a barrier there. So again, when we sin against God, even though we're saved, even though he's looking at Jesus Christ, on our end, if we know, like, yeah, I shouldn't have been doing that. I'm going to try to hide it from God. That's the, wrong, that's the wrong approach. That affects your relationship with God. If it's in the dark, it's going to sit there and it's going to bring shame. Shame grows in the dark. Light exposes, okay? So we need to confess our sins to God, say, God, I am sorry for that. I know you forgave me already. But I just want you to know I need help getting over that, and I'm sorry, and I'm not, I need your strength to not do it again. And that strengthens our personal relationship with God. Does this make sense? Are you all with me here on this? It's so crucial that we don't lose our responsibility. Now, of course, don't confuse this with your salvation. Of course not. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Ephesians 2. For by grace you were saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3.5 talks about this same thing, right? Titus 3.5, I mean, we, we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that it's on us. This has nothing to do with us. This is purely about our relationship with God and how we connect with God. So that leads us now into the second portion. That's, that's the confession part. And now we have a second part of this verse, and it's the forgiveness piece. The forgiveness piece. Um, and let me tell you, this piece is even a little harder. <laughs> this, if, if it was one thing to say, all right, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to confess my sins, that's great. We'll, we'll get through that. We can handle that. But then Jesus throws that little two-letter word, as in there, as we have to forgive each other, as we have forgiven our debtors. So here's the second point today. Point number two, ask God to help you forgive. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. Jesus connects our forgiveness with the Heavenly Father, with us personally forgiving 
the people that we're in contact with, our friends and our family. You need to forgive others the way God forgave you. To go back into church history a little bit, there's a guy named Charles Wesley. You may have heard of him. Very famous. Uh, wrote a lot of hymns. An evangelist. Uh, father of Methodism. He was, for one year, the secretary, the personal secretary of James Oglethorpe, who, for any pity who's not a history buff, that's the founder of the state of Georgia. Okay? And James Oglethorpe was a really gruff, rough general. I mean, he was a man's man to the extreme, too extreme. And there, the story goes, at one point, James Oglethorpe said to Charles Wesley, I never forgive and I never forget. Charles Wesley's response to him was, well, then I hope you never sin. Because he understood this concept. If you sin, I hope your sin is forgiven by God. And if your sin is forgiven by God... You have no right not to extend forgiveness to other people. It's so important that we get that. And this is pretty strong, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus says here, as you, have, as you have been forgiven. And believe it or not, this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus actually gives some extended commentary on. And he doubles down on this point. So look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. See what I mean? This is, this is really intense. We have to forgive. If you have been forgiven, you should be a forgiving person. There's no question about it. There's just no doubt about that at all. And I get, this is a, this is a sensitive thing for a lot of people because it's not always easy to forgive someone, especially when they are extremely cruel, harmful, abusive. It is, it is not an easy thing to let that go and to absorb that and to forgive that person. It's very difficult. The only way we can actually forgive the way we have been forgiven is if we look to Jesus Christ, the source of our forgiveness. We have to meditate on the cross. Otherwise, we have no chance, no chance to really forgive those nasty people who do nasty things to us, the people who leave us out, the people, the people who don't like us and, and stick a knife in our back. To forgive that person is a very hard thing to do. It can only be done when you realize, I offended God. I was in debt to God. I went my way. I did my thing. I ignored my creator for a long time, but he loved me anyway, and he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for me, and he forgave me. When I meditate on that and I get that, that's the only way I truly forgive someone else. Bitterness will dam up your heart and in your head. It will, it will kill you. Without forgiving people, you turn into an angry person. The only way to release that and to move past that is through forgiveness. The same way we entered into a relationship with God and became a new creation. 
So question, why would a Christian not forgive? I know many of us in this room are Christians. If you have never actually received your forgiveness of sins, today is the day for that, believe me. Today is the day you have nothing to wait for, nothing to lose. Just trust God and ask him to forgive your sins. He will. He's in the business of doing that. That's his nature. He's a forgiving God. But for those of us in here who already have been forgiven and we're redeemed and we have a new life in Christ and we know him, why do we still struggle with forgiveness? I already said it's because, you know, we're not meditating on the gospel and on the cross. That's the first way. It's forgetfulness. It's this spiritual amnesia. That's, that's the first problem. The second one is selfishness. And at the root of both of these is pride because we're not thinking about who God is and how he's changed us and how he is everything to us. We're elevating ourselves too high. But it really comes down to forgetfulness, a spiritual amnesia, or selfishness. And I want to explain that. But you forget that God forgave you, and you go on your merry way. You became a Christian because God forgave you. And the forgiven forgive. So we have to fight that pesky selfishness, and we have to meditate on the gospel. This is why we pray daily, hallowed be your name, and we meditate on his mercy and his grace. We didn't deserve it, but he forgave us anyway, and nothing can top that. But the danger of getting older and maturing in your walk with Christ, the further you get from that moment of conversion when you receive forgiveness, honestly, the easier it is to forget that he forgave you. The easier it becomes. So that's where you can have solid, mature Christians. They've been saved for years, but they're not thinking about their salvation and the cross and the forgiveness that they didn't deserve. And when somebody offends them, they find it hard to forgive. It can happen to anyone. And honestly, the longer you go without thinking about the gospel, without meditating on your salvation, the harder it gets to forgive people. So don't fall into this twisted mindset, this revisionist history of view of yourself where you forget that you were a hopelessly lost sinner. Don't dare do that. The second reason ties into this, but it's this selfishness piece. At the end of the day, there's nothing more selfish than unforgiveness. And you have to be aware of that to fight it. So, so let me explain. Think about it this way. We demand justice for other people. But whenever we do something wrong, we usually want mercy extended to us. Are you with me on that? And that is selfish. But just stop and think about it. You do something wrong, it's, oh, man, I'm, I mean, I, I'm tired. I need more sleep. I'm a human. Show me, cut me some slack. Please forgive me. When somebody else does something that offends you, that is a malicious person. How dare they show their face to me? What's their deal? Is that not the way we just kind of naturally are? Um, you can see this even, like, on the road, okay, out there, you know, I used to speed all the time. I don't. I drive a minivan now, so I don't speed very often. I have like kids in the car, but I used to. I used to be a very bad driver. Still not the greatest driver, but I'm better than I used to be. Uh, but when I see somebody else getting pulled over, uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, they deserved it. 
They deserved it. When I get pulled over, the prayers start flowing, let me tell you. That is when, God, I need mercy. Help me out right now. A year ago, yeah, two years ago now, um, Julie and I were driving to a friend's house, and there was, there was some construction going on, and they had a clear no left-hand turn sign, like blocking like this. And this is how we had to go. To get to my friend's house, I had to turn left. And like it was a street that you could actually drive on. Uh, but they blocked it off. No left-hand turn. So I was going to have to go straight and then cut way over. It was going to take way, way more time. We were running late. And Julie was in the seat next to me. And she said, actually, David, I was here yesterday. And everybody was just turning left anyway. Um, just go ahead and do it. And I was like, Julie, look, I mean, there's a sign right there. Like, we shouldn't. She's like, just do it, David. It's like, okay, fine. I'm not really a rule follower. And of course I do that, immediately get pulled over. And, uh, and then, you know, you're in that panic mode, can't afford this ticket. And so I'm like, Julie, the only way out of this is if you own up on this one. Can you just play the cute girl in distress thing? And like, um, just tell the police officer, I told my husband to do it and try to be flighty and just like pretend that we didn't see it. Like, I won't lie, but if you just say you made me do it, we could get out of this. And of course she didn't do that. And I got slapped with the ticket. But, but that's the way it goes. When we get pulled over, we want grace. Like, I want to, please, officer, just give me a warning. But when somebody else is speeding, it's like, ha, sucker, he deserved it. <laughs> or we're fist pumping inside because they're not going to pull me over because they pulled them over. And it's like, just throw the book at them, your honor. Like, that's just our embedded selfishness, okay? I know I'm stepping on toes here, and I know this isn't fun to hear, but it's true. That's the way we're wired. And when we're selfish and we're thinking about what's in it for me and how does this elevate me, we have a hard time forgiving other people. But when we think that, you know what? They're a jerk, but I've been a jerk too. And you know what? <laughs> I didn't deserve to be forgiven by God. But he showed grace to me and he showed his mercy to me and he forgave me because that's who my God is. He is a forgiving God. So to do the opposite of him, to do the opposite of his nature, the opposite of forgiveness, it's sin, right? It's the opposite of his nature. It's sin. We, we have to forgive. The forgiven forgive. It's so important that we see that. The forgiven forgive. I want grace for me and justice for you, but I have to change that mindset and I, I can only change that mindset when I realize that I receive justice because my God is a forgiving God. C.S. Lewis says, we accept our excuses far too easily and other people's excuses not readily enough. In our church, we have to do the same thing. In our, in our, in our place of employment, we have to do the same thing. In our family, in the home, we have to do the same thing. We have to say, you know what? Yeah, you were way off, but I'm going to show some grace to you right now because God shows grace to me. God forgave me so I can forgive you. As a Christian, through true prayer, we have to have that mentality to lay aside the wrongs, to absorb them, and to forgive and forget because the forgiven forgive. When we track in the dirt from our filthy feet and we make waves, we need to get it right as well. And that goes something along the lines of, I'm sorry for doing specific things. 
will you please forgive me? It's what your mom and dad taught you when you were three, and it's what you need to keep doing for the rest of your life. It's not easy to do, but it's necessary to do. What if they never ask you to forgive them, though? What if that, what if that person who wronged you never even cares enough to come to you and repent and say they're sorry? That's a whole other tricky situation. That's not, that's not fun. If that's the case, it's still just as important to have in your heart a willingness to forgive. You have to be ready to extend that forgiveness. Because if you don't do that, if you don't make yourself realize when, they're, when, they're, when they come to their senses, when they come around, I have to forgive them and I have to be willing to forgive them even now. I can forgive them in my heart even though they're not confessing anything to me. If we don't do that, again, sin piles up. And the wrong that they did to you will affect you far, far after they've even just, they've stopped thinking about it. They've moved on with their merry life. They're, they're, they're hurting other people because hurt people hurt people, right? You can't let their hurt continue to hurt you. We can't do that. That's why we have to have the heart of forgiveness, the heart of our Father, who is a forgiving God. So even if they don't ask it, we can't rehearse that hurt over and over and plan revenge. It blocks you from what? It blocks you from focusing on your redemption in Jesus Christ. And it's a hurdle that you have to get over to just enjoy the presence of God and to still love that other person. Don't stay stuck in the moment. Forgive in your heart. Be willing to forgive and move on. Maybe you'll never do business with that person. Maybe you have to avoid that person for a while. Yeah, sure, for, for sure. I mean, I'm not saying don't do that. Not, not everybody is a person that you need to deal with, you need to hang around with. But you can still in your heart say, you know what? God forgave me. I'm going to forgive that person when they come around to Pity them and don't let their sin have any more power over you. That is the heart of our God. Forgiveness flows from the nature of God. And remember, he died for our sin. True prayer is coming into the presence of God. Confess your sin to God. Keep your relationship with him at a good level. He's not going to change the way he looks at you, but when we let our sin pile up, it affects how we look to him. So confess your sin to him and forgive others because you have been forgiven. The forgiven forgive. And Christians should be a forgiving people. You want to know if someone's a Christian or not? Well, do they love people and do they forgive people? Those are the two biblical earmarkers of a Christian. Someone who knows Jesus Loves because he loves. Someone who knows Jesus forgives because they've been forgiven. Who was the last person who hurt you, who offended you, who sinned against you? Whoever that person was. Could have been, could have been an awful thing. My question for you is, have you forgiven them? 
This is a part of true prayer. You might have to pray about this. Father, forgive my sins. And just as you have forgiven me, help me to forgive that person. As we walk these dirty roads, this side of the new earth, there's nastiness everywhere. But every time that somebody sins against you or that you sin, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to think about what Jesus did for you on the cross and confess that to God and get that right with him. You have an opportunity to forgive that person and to show that person what God is like. That's an opportunity. Forgiveness, every time you have a chance to forgive someone, you have an opportunity to show them the nature of God. You have a chance to show the heart of God. The forgiven forgive, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven us. Let's pray about this right now. Father in heaven, we need, we need you. We need your strength. We need your help for our daily needs. Daily dependence is, is where we're at just to, just to forgive other people. And Lord, we need your presence to help us spiritually in our, in our interpersonal relationships. Keep our spirit attuned with you, Lord. We praise you for who you are, for your death through Jesus Christ the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation. It changes everything, Lord, and don't let us ever forget that. And use that as motivation to spur us on to be forgiving people. And may our forgiveness of others blow other people away to the point where they realize there's something different. I, I need to have what they have because they don't hold things in. And they let it roll off their back. And they're okay. We realize that's because of you. But Lord, give us the strength to be forgiving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand to our feet.
think about this. We have the chains broken to forgive, right? That's a child of God. That's what we can do. And if you don't know Jesus, I mentioned this in the sermon, but this is your chance right now. Please come forward. I would love to just have Jeremy. I would, I would have Aaron, one of these men, one of these ladies, take the Bible, the man that can do the same thing, Karen can do the same thing, and show you how you can have a relationship with God. We are the forgiven who can forgive, and you can never have the power to do that the way you need to do that. You will be bound by chains. You will be held back. You will have a bitter life unless you find Jesus Christ. Let's continue to sing that.